Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be, and welcome to 2 Minutes 59, Lake County, Illinois' favorite Clash-themed podcast, although, as I often point out, in all likelihood, it's Lake County, Illinois' only Clash-themed podcast, but we should work on that. We should get some more people to sit down and chat about the greatest band of all time. In any event, I'm your host, David Von Ebers. This is episode 26. If you have been uh, following the podcast or listening in, you'll probably note that the schedule's been a little erratic this summer, a little uh, up and down. I haven't been able to record episodes every week. I'd like to pretend that that's because I won a giant, huge, mega million or Powerball lottery jackpot, and I've been spending my days estate planning. Sadly, that's not true. Uh, I'm still here. Uh, but that also means I'm uh, I'm still working full time, <laughs> and hoping that retirement is on the on the horizon someday, but not yet. Anyway, anyway, this week we have kind of a a special uh, a special program, if you want to call it that. Um, it is uh, in honor of Joe Strummer's birthday. Yesterday, I'm recording this on. Uh, Tuesday the 22nd, but Monday, August 21st, was Joe Strummer's birthday. He would have been 71 years old uh, if he were still with us. And, um, you know, there's a lot I'd like to talk about in that regard. But not only did it happen to be uh, Joe's birthday yesterday, but also what came in um, in the mail, but uh, the brand new release from Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros, their live record recorded at um, Acton Town Hall in the UK. This was, as I've mentioned before, a benefit concert for striking, striking firefighters in, uh, in the UK. Uh, it was recorded on November 15th, uh, 2002, and that's um, a little sad because that so happens that um, that was just about a month before Joe passed away. He died on, I believe it was December 22nd, 2002. So this is more or less the last uh, thing he did. Um, certainly it was the last the last recording, live recording that we've got from Joe. Um, and I've been very excited about this for weeks. I mentioned it a while ago. I think they may have timed the actual release of the album so that a lot of folks would, a lot of folks who ordered or pre-ordered it, <clears throat> pardon me, would get it on his actual birthday because I saw some other posts on Twitter um, or other social media sites where people had just gotten it yesterday and they were opening it up. The um, record company uh, is actually located in, um, it's Dark Horse Records, they're actually located in Texas. So being here in Illinois, I was able to get it fairly soon after um, the release date, which I think was August 17th, so it took about four days to get here. As I said, arrived on Joe's birthday. I was very excited about that, needless to say. Um, it's a very, very cool record, and I'm just going to talk about it for a moment. Um, here's the track listing, uh, a song called Shakar Datensk, Dan oh, my goodness, <laughs> I should have had more coffee. Shakar, Shakhtar Donetsk. I'm terrible at pronouncing anything that is uh, somewhat foreign, 
foreign sounding. Bindi Baggi is the next tune, Rudy Can't Fail, a great Clash tune. Tony Adams, also a great Clash tune. White Man and the Hammersmith Palais, um, which lyrically is one of the best early Clash tunes of all time. Mega Bottle Ride, another Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros tune, Get Down Moses. Police and Thieves, which you may know was a cover of a Junior Mervyn song that The Clash did on their debut record um, that came out in, what, 1977 or thereabouts. Um, and the, I want to say the Junior Mervyn record came out in 76, maybe. It had kind of been the soundtrack of the summer in uh, the UK in 1976 because that was the year of the Notting Hill riots where a police officer shot a, a black um, carnival attendee and that set off several days of unrest. The photograph on the back of the Clash debut album with the Bobbies running down the street chasing after a crowd that actually comes from the that event. It comes from the Notting Hill um, unrest that followed that shooting at the Notting Hill Carnival. And so that the Junior Mervyn song, Police and Thieves, really took off. I've talked about it before, but Joe and Mick were uh, were at Notting Hill and kind of hung out, or, or Joe and Paul, even. I'm not quite sure if Mick was there, but Joe and Paul were definitely there. Um, and the song White Riot is actually inspired by their experiences at the Notting Hill um, riots, un unrest, however you want to call it. But anyway, so they Joe and the Muscularos do a cover of Police and Thieves on this record. Uh, Coolin' Out, another Joe and the Muscalero song. Police on My Back, one of my favorite uh, Clash songs off of the Sandinista record. Johnny Appleseed, Coma Girl, uh, I Fought the Law. We talked about this last week, didn't we? Or the last episode where I Fought the Law, of course, um, which appeared on the U.S. version of the debut album and also appeared on the Cost of Living EP is a cover of a Bobby Fuller 4 song. Um, but their version, the Clash's version, is very unique, and here's a, another version by Joe. Then this is, I think, what's most exciting about the record. There are three more songs on the record, Bank Robber, White Riot, and London's Burning, each of which... Uh, features Mick Jones and we talked about this some time back on the episode that I did that was sort of a Mick Jones appreciation episode where there were actually <clears throat> efforts to sort of reunite the band um, very late in Joe's life obviously no one knew he was going to pass away at the untimely young age of, uh, of 50 in, in 2002 but in 2001 2002 in that time period there were there were discussions. Mick and Keith met up. They recorded music together. They wrote some stuff together. And according to Mick, the intention was that that would provide the basis for a, a Clash reunion, basically, and possibly a new album and tour. And then that never happened um, due, to, due to Joe's untimely passing. But in any event, um, it kind of, you know, it kind of gives me uh, warm, fuzzy feelings to think about Mick and Joe getting back together. And in fact, I bought the I bought the Live at Acton Town Hall record on vinyl, and so in on the inside of the record cover, you know, there's some photos from the concert, including several that feature uh, Mick and Joe together. So that's that's pretty cool. It's very sentimental. Uh, by the way, it is on clear vinyl, which you know makes it super cool. And another thing another thing I love about this record 
is that it comes with a card that's the the, the set list of the concert. Um, but it also because of because it's the set list, um, it shows the 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 key that every song is played in. So that's great for me because I this is another thing I was going to talk about before this record came in the mail, but um, you know I I am a terrible guitar player, but I like to fool around with it and have fun with it. And recently I've been getting back into to playing and playing some Clash tunes, and it shows the key of all these songs. And one of my favorites, of course, is Rudy Can't Fail. And it so happens I've been screwing around with that song lately, and also London's Burning is on here. Although for some reason on the... Um, on the uh, the reproduction of the set list, it doesn't show the key for London's Burning. But in any event, um, I believe it is in G uh, because it's really pretty simple. I think the chords are just G, F, C, and D for the most part. Um, those are the, the, the those kind of knifing chords that you hear throughout throughout the song. It's those four. Anyway, I thought that was very cool. So now I'm going to have to learn to play all these songs, I guess. But I promise, although my guitars are all right here in the room with me, I will not subject you to that. Um, on the subject of Joe's birthday, you know, uh, I, obviously I'm a huge Clash fan. That's why we're. That's why I do this podcast and why I post stuff on social media incessantly about the Clash and about their music. However, um, one thing I want to give some some real emphasis to here um, on today's show is that I think, you know, at least in the States, Joe's solo music never really got its due. Of course, there was a gap, you know, when his first solo album, after disbanding the Clash 2.0 or whatever you want to call the post-Mick Jones version of the Clash, his first solo album was that record called Earthquake Weather, which I really liked. I think there's some great music on it. I think it got a little airplay in the United States because The Clash had been popular, uh, particularly with the Combat Rock album. And, you know, Joe was a well-known um, figure, certainly in the alternative music scene. So that record got some airplay. But then, you know, Joe kind of dropped out of the scene for a while. He wasn't making music. He was doing some other things. There is, by the way, and this is a total distraction that I hadn't even thought of by now, but there is an interesting documentary. It's in Spanish with subtitles, so you have to be prepared to read a lot of subtitles. But there's an interesting uh, documentary called I Need a New Dodge, which is about, uh, and I'll put a link in the show notes, it's about the time that Joe spent in Spain um, a few years while well, things weren't going particularly well for him, um, and he kind of had to get away from the hectic uh, life of uh, being in London and so forth. So he, he spent some time in Spain. And the premise of the film is that he had this car, this Dodge, that he loved. And uh, it was an older classic model Dodge. And he um, <laughs> it was in a parking garage, or as the Brits say, a car park for years while he was um, away from home. And he wanted, and, and when he when he returned, he discovered that the car was gone, and he wanted to he wanted to get his car back. But anyway, it it goes into a lot of the things that he was doing while he was in Spain, 
the artists that he worked with over there, the musicians that he produced and things like that. And it's really kind of fascinating. As I say, it's in Spanish, so you gotta gotta uh, uh, read the subtitles if you're if you're not fluent in the language. But it's I thought it was really interesting. Um, a DJ friend of ours who worked for a local radio station managed to get some tickets when the um, when the documentary premiered here in Chicago, and so we went to see it. But that's a whole different story for another time uh, <laughs> that involves all kinds of complications. But in any event, we saw the, the, the picture, uh, the documentary in, in Chicago, and it was pretty cool. So that was kind of that gap in his career while he was in Spain, and he was working with other artists, but he wasn't recording much music on his own. Anyway, eventually he comes back to the UK, kind of reconnects with his family. His children were very young at this point in time, and um, he realized, I think, that he'd got to be a little better as a, as a father or whatever, but in any event, he did that. So he goes back to the UK, and then, you know, he, he sort of reinvigorates his career. He ends up, you know, he worked with the uh, uh, with some other artists for a while before he formed the Mescaleros. Uh, I can't remember the name, the Rockabilly, no. The Latino Rockabilly War. Yeah, that was the group that he worked with for a while. Um, but he produced a series of records with the Mescaleros in the late 90s up to about 2001. I think one of the records was, uh, they released one of the records after he passed away. I think that came out in 2003. But in any event, that stretch of music is really, really great. And there are several of those songs um, on, on this uh, new Live at Acton Town Hall record. I've talked about those. But I also think just in general, it's really worth kind of plumbing the depths of Joe's solo music to really, I th you know, I would say get a full picture of the guy. One of the, um, one of the releases, uh, more recent releases of his music, I think this came out in 2018, yeah, yeah, 2018, was the record called uh, Joe Strummer 001. It's the one that features <laughs> the uh, the image of the photograph from his California driver's license on the cover, which in and of itself is kind of humorous. Does not look happy in the picture, but who looks happy in their driver's license picture? But this is a really great um, collection. It's got uh, three full-length albums, if you if you get it on vinyl, as I did. Three full-length albums, and then there is a what they refer to is Side 7, um, which is a, like a 12-inch a single with a, a lengthy track called U.S. North. Uh, I've mentioned this before. This was part of the sort of the reunion between uh, Mick and Joe. They wrote and recorded this song together. I believe they actually performed it live once or twice as well, but again, this was toward the tail end of his life. Anyway, I've talked about the Joe Strummer 001 collection uh, before, but I'd just like to highlight a few things um, on the record. And the background of this is kind of is kind of important, kind of significant because um, so he died in 2002, right? And when he di he died very unexpectedly, so he left behind uh, his wife and a couple of daughters and. He had all this music collected in storage in his, you know, his garage in, in the UK. That he lived kind of out in the country, and he had all this stuff um, in storage. He had handwritten lyrics. He had demo tapes. He had just all kinds of information. You know, information. I don't mean that. All kinds of music. 
and eventually his wife uh, Lucinda got around to Lucinda Tate got around to putting this together kind of um, what's the term I'm looking for uh, um, <laughs> I was gonna say collating that's not the term anyway she put the record together uh, like I said it's it's three full full-length albums um, a ton of songs over 30 songs uh, over the six sides plus this quote-unquote seventh side which is the US North track with Mick Jones but it really is an amazing retrospective of his career there are no actual clash songs on this but there are some 101ers songs now the 101ers were the band that he was in when Mick sort of found him and said you got to come and join the clash I had to take a drink of coffee as one must do after talking for 15 minutes or so but so there's a couple of um, 101er songs. There's a, a song called Let's Get a Bit of Rockin' All Run Together, as only Joe Strummer would do. Um, and there's a song called Keys to Your Heart, which I think a lot of people who kind of have delved into the minutia of The Clash and their career are probably familiar with that song. Um, but in any event, well, let, let me interrupt myself for a second. When I said there are no Clash songs, it's not entirely true. There are clash version two songs on it uh the a song called the czechoslovak song slash whereas england that he did that with the um sort of reinvented mick jones clash and another song pouring rain um also did with with that group uh that did include paul uh, paul simonon and i believe topper uh Hedden, but not but not mick anyway so th it's really a good retrospective of of his um, career it's got a lot of really great stuff in it it has some of my favorite mescalero songs like yalla yalla and x-ray style johnny appleseed which is on the new live record coma girl uh, but there's some other some other stuff that's really really fascinating here including um, a, a remake of a song that he had done with the mescaleros called Burning Streets, which they renamed for purposes of this record as London is Burning. Not London's Burning, the class song, but London is Burning. It's a brilliant song, um, and, and this version is, is really well done as well. Uh, the record also feels uh, features uh, Pearl Harbor, who I've talked about from time to time, who did, who was a, you know, hung out with the clash and was part of their um part of their scene and also recorded some music with them so there's a song called two bullets which has got a kind of a country feel to it um and it's on this it's on this uh joe strummer 001 record uh, but there's a couple of other things that i love on this record. one is one is <laughs> there's a song called uh over the border with jimmy cliff of all things jamaican legend jimmy cliff now if you're um if you're not familiar with Jimmy Cliff, Jimmy Cliff was, I love to say this, was sort of like the reggae inspiration for all kinds of white suburban kids in the 1970s. He, um, he was a, you know, a known quantity, a fairly successful musician in Jamaica, but still very young. And then he starred in a film called The Harder They Come. And he recorded a lot of the music for that, for the soundtrack. If you have, if you've ever wanted uh, like a great 
uh, collection of reggae. Go dig out the, the soundtrack to the movie, The Heart of the Come. I always say it's the best movie soundtrack I've ever heard, um, but it features a lot of great Jimmy Cliff stuff. And, and for me, you know, that was really how I got into to reggae back in the 70s, and I've always been a fan. I think that um, Jimmy Cliff and The Heart of They Come, you know, definitely had a, an influence on The Clash. There's lines from the song um, uh, Guns of Brixton, which of course is one of the few songs that Paul Simonon actually did the vocal on. Uh, but there's lines in the, the song, the lyrics to Guns of Brixton, where he specifically refers to the movie The Harder They Come and the main character. But anyway, the song Over the Border um, with uh, Jimmy Cliff and Joe Strummer is really great. It has, I think it's almost obligatory to include this uh, on any kind of retrospective of Joe's career. It also has the cover that he recorded with Johnny Cash of Bob Marley's Redemption Song. Now that that's a pretty wild concept. Uh, you know, Johnny Cash, Joe Strummer, Bob Marley. That that's a pretty impressive uh, triumvirate, but this goes back to when Johnny Cash was really kind of expanding his musical horizons, and he was working with um, uh, Rick Rubin, and, and he was recording, he had an album of, of duets, and, and this is from that album, um, but it's a, it's a really excellent version. You know, I, Redemption Song is the kind of song that I would say almost no one other than Bob Marley ever should have recorded because Bob Marley's version itself is uh, so significant and influential. But if anybody could pull it off, of course, it would be Johnny Cash and Joe Strummer. Um, it also has, and this is kind of on a sad note, the uh, Joe Strummer 01 record also has one of my, um, one of my favorites, uh, Joe and the Mescaleros tracks, and probably in a way one of the most, I would say, sentimental of their songs, which is Silver and Gold, although here it's credited as Silver and Gold slash Before I Grow Too Old. Um, it's the, that song is the final song, the final track on the final um, um, Joe Strummer records, Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros um, album. And, you know, it's this very... It's it's a kind of a sentimental song. It's very uh, it's a slow song. It's got a, a nice uh, you know kind of melody to it and everything like that. It's a, it's extremely laid back for a Joe Strummer song, but it's also you know a song from the perspective of an older person um, looking back on their life and you know talking about how they still want to be engaged and and. Uh, having a good time. It's from the Street Corps album that came out in 2003. So that was the last of his records and it came out, um, you know, not too long after he unfortunately passed away. But Silver and Gold is the, is the final track on that record and it's very sentimental. Now, there have been a couple of, so, so the Joe Strummer 001 record came out in 2018. The Live at Acton Hall, Acton Town Hall record obviously just came out. In between, there have been a couple of other releases that are retrospectives of his music. There is one called Assembly that has a lot of great tracks on it, including one of my favorite versions of Junko Bardner. Um, it's really well done. But th that's a pretty good record. Definitely check that one out. And then there is a Joe Strummer 002 
that has come out more recently. Again, a big collection of some of the music that uh, Lucinda Tate curated after Joe passed. So you know they they produce they they put out this this music from time to time, and it's always worth checking out. Um, but I was I was just very very happy when this record uh, came in the other day. Uh, I was going to mention um, the fact that I had started getting back into playing guitar, uh, inspired in part by the fact that I knew this album was coming and I knew it contained a couple of songs that I wanted to pick up again that I had fooled around with in the past, including Rudy Can't Fail, which is one of my favorites. So my current, and I'll just this part will just be brief, I won't bore you with it, but my current, um, my current thing is that I'm gonna be working on a new Clash song like every week or between every episode. So I, I kind of got Rudy Can't Fail, or yeah, Rudy, I almost misspoke. Rudy Can't Fail Down. That's, a, again, a fairly simple song, uh, fairly straightforward. I started working yesterday on uh, London's Burning, which is, another, not London is Burning, but London's Burning, another one of my favorite Clash songs. Um, again, fairly straightforward. I promise you I will not make you listen to my bad guitar playing. But I will talk about about that a bit. Most of the class songs that I've played over the years, like Career Opportunities, Tommy Gun, um, are fairly straightforward. They don't they don't typically use a lot of bar chords, except some relatively easy ones, F sharp major, B minor. If you're a guitar player, you know those are pretty. Those are the kind of bar chords you learn early on. Um, there are quite a few songs, however, that are in the key of E, and if you are playing a song that's in E, there's almost always going to be a B chord in that song. Very often it's a combination of E, A, and B, so kind of like the one, four, and five chords. If you think is E is one, A and B are four and five, that's a very typical pattern of a chord progression. So uh, one thing I have, I have dedicated myself to this year is mastering the B chord. I've talked about that before when I get off on these weird rants on guitar, not rants, weird digressions on guitar playing. But um, anyway, so I will keep you apprised about my guitar playing. But uh, London's Burning is really straightforward and fun to play and fairly easy. So that's cool. But I got to move on to more complicated things next time. Anyway, having uh, wasted your time talking about my obsession with guitar playing and playing The Clash, uh, there are a couple of other things that I've been meaning to bring up. Um, and one is, and this will not seem like a very Clash-related thing, but you know, I've done this sort of thing in the past where I've talked about great artists who also are good people. Uh, so I've talked about uh, my favorite country band, The Mavericks, I've talked about uh, Terrence Simeon is a great Zydeco artist. I've talked about Living Color. I've talked about other groups like that. Um, but one person who fits very much into that category and who has just recently announced that she's retiring from touring is um, Buffy St. Marie. Now you may say to yourself, okay, that's, that's pretty far afield from the Clash and punk rock, but hear me out on this. Um, first of all, Buffy St. Marie was an absolute force of nature, so whether or not she played punk rock, she certainly embodied the punk spirit. Uh, there is a fascinating PBS documentary. It's, it's an episode of the American Masters um, 
uh, series, but, but it's on Buffy St. Marie covering like her whole career up to the present time. And I just, we watched it one night. And it's funny because, you know, honestly, I hadn't thought about her a whole lot. I mean, I was familiar with her music back in the day. She had a fair amount of success in her career, including writing some pretty big hit songs that were featured in movies and things like this. But I always, you know, to me, she was always this, you know, this folk artist from back in the day. And we're flipping around the channels one night. We come across this um we come across this documentary, this episode of uh, American Masters, and I'm like, oh, I remember Buffy St. Marie. We should, we should watch this. So we watched it, and holy cow, it's amazing. It is so, so cool. First of all, you know, although the series is American Masters, she's actually Canadian, and even cooler than that, I would say, <laughs> she's First Nations Canadian. And part of this, the, her, the part of the episode of American Masters and part of her sort of journey through life was reconnecting with her First Nations roots up in Canada. And that part of the story is, in and of itself, worth watching. I mean, that's just totally amazing. Um, but even more than that, one, one thing I really, really got a lot out of, frankly, was in the, in the early parts of the episode, they talked about her early career and, you know, going to Greenwich Village, and being part of that early folk scene. And I know this will sound crazy, but it reminded me so much of the early days of punk in that, I mean, the music's very different, but it was the same kind of attitude about music, like we're in charge, we're in control of our own music, we're going to do it our way. We're not so much concerned about, you know, the popularity of it, we're just going to do it our way. And despite that attitude, of course, a lot of these artists became hugely popular and hugely successful. But I also thought what, what I loved about it was the community, the creation of this community that revolved around making this music. And I'm always, I'm always fascinated by pictures that I see on different punk rock related social media accounts, whether it's like official Clash or Ramones or something like that, or just these other social media accounts out there that, that um, focus on punk rock. And you see that a lot. You see the community that evolved around the punk scene, whether it was CBGB's in New York or the London punk scene or a little bit later the California punk scene. You see a lot of these artists pictured together you see a lot of these artists interacting with one another. And that's something that Joe Strummer always talked about. He always talked about using sort of the punk ethos to create a community and to build, you know, build a better world, right? I mean, his probably most famous post-clash quotation is, without people, you're nothing. I put that at the end of my my uh, write-up of each episode. Without people, you're nothing. And, and that was kind of what was happening in the early days of punk. That was what was happening in the early days of folk. And I thought that the parallel was really fascinating. But anyway, check that out. Absolute force of nature. It's, it's a shame that she's retiring from touring, although God bless her. I'm sure I would have done it much earlier, even if I had one-tenth the talent that she had. But it's really, really cool. Check that out. The Buffy St. Marie episode of, uh, of American Masters. One last thing, and I'll only mention this quickly, but I have been intrigued by an Irish hip-hop group <laughs> called Kneecap. 
you know, I, I'm a little bit obsessed with all things Irish, of course, and I've, I've gone on that tangent for a while um, uh, at different points in time. I shouldn't say for a while, but I've gone off on that tangent from time to time. But this, this group, NECAP, actually started following me, or whoever runs their social media, I should say, started following me um, on Twitter some time ago, and, and I delved into it a little bit at the time. I followed them back and everything. But more recently, I started paying more attention to them, and um, this will be something I'll have to follow up on down the road. But they're a fascinating group. It's two or three <laughs> guys from Belfast. Uh, the third guy isn't isn't always in the um, in their videos and so forth, but you'll recognize him because he wears a an Irish flag themed um, ski mask. But in any event, they are um, very much uh, sort of pro-Republican, um, not American Republican, but pro-Republican in the Irish sense, as in unifying the entire island as one republic. Uh, I can only presume that they grew up Catholic. I don't know that. But uh, in any event, their, their music is great. But here, here's the wild and fascinating thing about it is that they, most of their songs are in Irish. They'll, there'll be a little bit of English in each song, but the vast majority of the lyrics are in Irish. By the way, turns out that Irish works really well with hip-hop. Who would have guessed? Well, they did, obviously. But um, they sound great. The, the only problem <clears throat> from an American perspective is I, I like the sound. It's really cool. And then I think to myself, well, what are they saying? <clears throat> you know, because there's certainly a lot of cult, uh, uh, controversy around Belfast and Ulster and the Troubles and all this sort of thing. So I, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little hesitant, right? And I know they've gotten some, uh, some flack over the name in particular because kneecap sounds like a form of retribution that you know you'd meet out on someone who was disloyal to a movement, right? Um, and so I think some people are a little troubled by that, a little troubled maybe that they're kind of, you know, reigniting some of the sectarian um, animosities or whatever. I don't know if that's the case, but I can't, I don't know, I don't know the, um, the lyrical content. But I find it fascinating that they're from Belfast. I find it fascinating that they're rapping in um, Irish. And uh, they definitely have a pretty good sense of humor. One video I saw recently was where they offered to trade the British 800 years of colonization for 800 pints. So you kind of get the sense of humor that they uh, come at this with. But anyway, I'm going to definitely follow up on, uh, on NECAP, get some more information about where they're coming from and what, what the lyrical content is in their music. But I will say, if you get a chance to listen to their music, they are pretty cool. I just, like I said, I don't know what they're saying, but the music itself is pretty good. Anyway, that's, uh, that is episode 26. That's a wrap. Uh, please feel free to leave any comments you may have in the comment section below. Um, follow me on Twitter at Dave from TR and the number one. You can also, I just started a 2 minutes 59 Twitter account. That's the number two, the word minutes and the number 59 on Twitter and who knows if Twitter will be around much longer but anyway you can always follow me there leave a comment below uh, have a great week and I will talk to you again soon